Hi, I'm Sam. And I'm Felicia. Welcome to the Bootleg Book Club. Today, we're going to be discussing Red Lip Theology by Candice Marie Benbaum. So I was actually introduced to Candice via Twitter. She had this like story go viral of like how she had this really noisy neighbor and she was going to bake him a cake and then... She ended up like baking him a cake and then he ended up apologizing and he was ended up actually being like a music producer or something. And apparently like they're still friendly. Um, so that was my first introduction to her. And then from there, I found out she actually had gone viral before, I think, um, for writing the lemonade syllabus. And then um, I want to say a little bit after that, I saw she had an interview with Kev on stage, who was like a, a famous um, black YouTube comedian who's now since created his own platform and his whole thing is like Christian comedy that can sometimes like sometimes edge into like other things, I guess you could say. Um, And I really liked their interview because it kind of expanded on womanist theology that I had been introduced to while I was in college And she brought up a point that I thought was so amazing. And I remember reposting it. And it was about this whole idea of soul ties, which pastors are always talking about. Mm -hmm. And she brought it up and she was like, and you know what? The only time it's brought up in the Bible is not even between a man and a woman. It's between um, Saul and Jonathan, like that their souls are tied. And so I just thought that was I just, that was a revelation for me anyway. So anyway, Candace is a black womanist theologian. Um, as, I'm, as I mentioned, I was introduced to her via Twitter. I actually pre-ordered her book way back when it came out and we're just now reading it. I was so excited to finally read it for April. Um, we decided on her book for April because April is actually Black Women's History Month. And it's also a very religious month, and this is a religious book. And right. it's considered a very religious and holy month because the, all of the Abraham religions have a holiday in April. There's Easter, there's Passover, and there's Ramadan. Um, Candace also holds degrees from Tennessee State University, North Carolina Central University, and Duke Divinity School. She spent some time as a sociology professor and now makes her living as a writer. I also want to mention that I, like my introduction into Candace also, I did a course on like um, black feminism in high school and I was really interested in the lemonade syllabus, Mm. but I didn't know it was her until you connected the dots for me um, when I was in school because then I had to do pretty much like a social media platform campaign for women in um, women theologians in Christianity and I kind of knew Priscilla Shire and I wanted a black woman and different things like that and you mentioned her name so I did the research on her and I was like oh, she's the same woman I was like this is perfect so you had actually known of her work before right? I also had known of her work um but yeah she's she's really interesting really talented and I also love this book so I'm excited to that get is. into it yes I agree so the book is about defining what Candace Marie Benbow has coined to be red lip theology. She writes about what it means to be a black woman who grew up in the church 
that is also very much feminist or womanist, whichever term you more so identify with, and a woman who's aligned with her sensual side and just recognizes that she is human. Um, she also organizes the book based on a woman's routine for getting ready for the day. A routine, she says, helped her out of one of her darkest moments when a friend encouraged her to get ready for the day because no matter how bad she was feeling, she sh couldn't go into the world with a defeated attitude. Um, and when you go to the contents, um, the, the uh, steps are skincare and um, that is also We Are Good Creation, Primer, which is suing God for back child support, Foundation, God and Other Reformed Helicopter Parents, Brows, Eyeshadow, Liner, and Lashes, God Made Me Black, Contour and Concealer, Amazing Grace for Side Chicks, Bronzer, We Should All Be Womanist, Blush, Survived by a Special Friend, Highlighter, Black Lace Teddies and Other Pieces I Rock Under the Anointing, Lip primer, liner, lip gloss, and lipstick, leaving church, and then setting spray, Psalm 9012. Um, all righty. So that is how the book is set up. And I really liked that too, because for each section, she also explains like the importance of that. So when she talked about foundation or primer, she talked about how one, the what it is for makeup, but what it is also just for her life in general when it yeah. comes to Christianity of like the importance and the value of having a good foundation. Right, right. So let's start with the definition that she places right in the introduction, which I think is very important. Okay. And she says, um, red lip theology is the lens through which I understand myself as a millennial black woman of faith. It creates space for both my upbringing in the black Baptist church of the South and my coming of age when America was embracing hip hop's aggressive brash voice and bringing it into the mainstream. Red lip theology is a space in which young black church women can sit with the parts of ourselves and be honest about all of them. Within these borders, there are boundless possibilities possibilities for who we can become and how we can live into our faith. And this was, while I was reading this book, I definitely felt that. Like I saw parts of myself in this book. I saw, um, you know, things that I had to go through, I think, to reconcile how I grew up, mm. but also who I was becoming. Right. Um, and so I, that, that is what I appreciate about this so much that it, it, it um, creates a space for a woman like me and it creates a lane for a woman like me who is trying to um, figure out my faith, wants to be strong in faith, but also recognizes these other parts of myself. Right. Um, I really also like this part. Um, this was ended up being one of like my bookmarks. Okay. Um, but it's good foundation also to right. have like the actual definition of what we're talking about for red lip theology. And before it, she kind of talks about the need for rep red lip theology. Um, it's having confidence in, in my ability to articulate my faith and what it meant for me. Um, I think this was also really good understanding of the overall book because yes, it's about red lip theology, but as you soon see for me, it, also looked like a memoir mm -hmm. um, of hers. So 
her life is really interwoven with this. So it made me see how can I apply this to my life and how ways I could learn to articulate my faith and building that relationship I have with God in a more acceptable way. Because another thing she mentioned, um, this was after like the paragraph that you read. It's another sentence. It said, red lip theology introduced me to a God much more kind, gracious, and loving than the one I'd been given in my youth and young adulthood. So how you were saying, um, reconciling the way we were raised and then recognizing the woman that we are becoming. It's so true and real. um, And I really connected to that. Right. And the part about her it being a memoir for her is also very true in that she details a part of her life that she then reflects on how that changed her faith or changed how she saw God or changed or built upon the relationship that she had with God. Right. So let's get into bookmark where we talk about our favorite parts or our favorite quote. And I think we both have a lot of quotes for this book. Um, But I'm going to choose to read only my favorite one right now. And then as we discuss other topics, I'll bring up other quotes. Um, But this is definitely one of those books you're going to want to have a highlighter, a pen, sticky tabs, like whatever you use, because you're going to want to annotate it. Yes. um, And if you're not annotating it, you're doing a disservice to yourself (laughs) in this book. Yes. Okay. It's so enriched with so many good things. Yes, I can agree with that. So my favorite, favorite quote is on page 18. Um, But I knew it was in the doctrine of creation where I would situate the most important argument I'd ever make. If all of creation is holy, then black girls and women are holy too. Mm. And I thought that was important for me because I struggle a lot with, remembering that I am enough in who I am. And if you are going to be a believer and you're going to say like all everything that God creates is holy, um, God created you, God created me and you. So by definition, no matter what the world tries to say about black women, mm-hmm. we are holy and we are divine and um, we are enough. Yeah. And so I just found that like, I know it seems like a like simple sentence, but it was very profound to me. Yes, very profound. And also um, from the very beginning in that section, um, how they want the world or just spaces want to say about black women and things that they don't want to say. Mm-hmm. Um, she talked about it really started off also with being faced with cases of Trayvon Martin, but there are other people too. There were other women mm-hmm. that were ignored right. and she was trying to bring that to the forefront. And it's it, black women shouldn't be able should should not be pushed to the sidelines anymore. Um, there's room. And she mentions like for us to thrive and there should be um, ways for us to thrive, you know, especially in the church, if the church is giving support. Right. The right and she, way. Um, and I, I remember what you're talking about. She talks about how when it came to Trayvon Martin, he received a lot of support with even within the ch- church. There were movement. There was a whole movement. Yes. And rightfully so. However, when it came to um, the young woman, I believe Rikia Boyd. Yes. Um, Rikia. She did not receive the same attention, the same movement behind her. Right. Um, for me, um, one of my favorite lines is God is God. 
God created all things, exists beyond time, and is eternal. God stood before language or identity and is not defined by them. God is compassionate and empathetic, enough to make room for us to come to know God as we need to know God. Um, this was really important for me. One, of course, defining God and my relationship and recognizing and challenging me to see how I see God. Um, this is around a time where she talks about her time at the Duke Divinity School and how you growing up ingrained, you are, you assign God to a gender. People genderize God and he's above that also. And that shows with ways of how she talked about how she really did see God in her mom and she saw her mom as God and how maybe books like the shack kind of disrupted people's ideas of God because he was seen as a woman and people were saying that's against it. That's not God. And again, it's like, why can't women be God? Right. And with God is before everything before what, um, if God is before the word and is the word, um, we have a very limited mindset right now of what God and who God is. And that could really, um, put a lot of a skewed image Mm -hmm. of how we see ourselves as women immediately versus kind of being almost like second class, right? Right. To men, if you're saying, and just can't be this, we we can't can't do that. Exactly. So um, that was really meaningful for me to see how she shared that and she worked through that. And I guess that's another part of this book. This book challenges you a lot with your faith. Right. I agree. And actually I wrote um, the piece about, you know, ungendering and like how it actually inspired me and how I'm going to, I'm going to try to be more cognizant of it. And in fact, the other day I had posted something and I deleted it to repost it in a different way. Mm. Cause I initially wrote, um, cause I had seen it online. I had seen someone talk about this, but then I wanted to post it. And I initially posted, God didn't remove the red sea. He parted it. And then like, I went back and I was like, God didn't remove the Red Sea. God parted it. Like, I want to be more intentional about not assigning gender to a God. Like, I think I, re- I yes. really want to um, do that. And that is another thing that I'm taking away from this book for sure. Um, ready to get into bookish? Yes. Okay. Bookish is when we talk about how the book that we read reminds us of real life factors or concepts or how we've, um, or how we might even see it play out in our own lives. And for me, um, a big thing was the fact that she grew up in the church and we grew up in the church very much so. Um, And I do remember growing up thinking, if I do the right thing, I'm going to win. And Candace talks about that. And she talks about how when you're growing up in the church, you're kind of seen as set apart from other people. Like you're Mm -hmm. kind of seen as the good kids. You're you're told you're going to get all these things if you stay in line with God. And, um, I also remember doing a purity ceremony and all of that stuff. Um, and then I remember that moment of going away to college and trying to, again, trying to reconcile these different parts of me. I was meeting, um, people who were LGBTQ and I felt like I wanted to have a God or I believe in a God that loves them too. Mm -hmm. And that, um, again, like we were saying, 
God was before all these identities and labels and all of that stuff. So the God that I serve created these people. So his love encompasses these people too. And um, so that was one thing for me. And also, again, like not wanting to see just because I'm a woman or a black woman, not I, you know, the God that I serve does not see me as less than just because I'm a woman. So also reconciling that piece and being introduced to womanist theology. Actually, my senior thesis was on womanist theology. Um, I happened to work at the law school library when I was um, an undergrad. And it just so happened a lot of the um, like other employees, like a lot of the managers at the law school library were actually work study people from the school of divinity Mm. um and so like i would talk to them about different things and anyway this all eventually led to my senior thesis actually being about womanist theology um so just that whole understanding and that whole path is very similar to like what i experienced and also um just having to have that shift or break that narrative in your mind that just because I did these things, like good things are going to happen to me and like having a chip on my shoulder, if it's not happening for me, but it's happening for someone else and they're not even following the rules, like how could they be getting this thing? And so like all of that had to be deconstructed in my mind as well. So like that whole experience that she talks about, I, I fully identified with. Yes, definitely. There were a lot of parts in the book where she talked about things that were going on in the church and having to kind of denounce it or go against it. And I remember part of it, um, maybe like, I guess, a spoiler alert also, because, again, it deals with parts of her um, life. Um, But it was also the relationship she had with her mom. Mm-hmm. and with the church so it was also how her mom raised her as a single mother so but she was still in the church and there were times when the church tried to really I guess put them down and her mom still raised Candace to be proud of who she was mm-hmm. so I think that was also ways again she could still see the pride and the strength that her mom had but she ended up still kind of almost butting heads with her mom still throughout her life about ways that they thought about um, God in the Bible. Right. Um, and I would also say part of that, um, which I liked how she was really bold in this book. Mm-hmm. And she has a part where she was like, I reject folks who tell us we must surrender our ethnic and cultural identities to Jesus. Um. And she kind of talks about that too. Also, like she learns things and she about herself and then she ended up saying, you know, I reject this. And I think anybody who says anything less, you're kind of um, not willing to do the work. Right. Um, And speaking to that point, um, I think that's also like, I didn't pull out that quote, but that's also like very important because I know she also has another quote in here where she says, I am Christian. I am black. I am woman. And one does not, um, rise above the other. Exactly. They, I am all of these things at once. And that resonated for me as well, because you know, there's that famous preaching that I can't stand and don't like. And it was when, I don't remember who preached on this, but I do know it was a black woman. And she was basically saying that she wasn't a black woman. She was a Christian. And you mm-hmm. know, 
I remember hearing that. I remember it being kind of posted in our group chats and stuff. And I remember being adamantly against that. Like there's just, I just didn't identify with that at all. We are all of these things at once. Like you cannot separate yourself. Okay. So you cannot separate these identities. Right. Yeah. I definitely feel the same. Like it felt off. So again, having Candace say these words boldly and just express it and show the stories that where you can't be separated from this, like this actually still matters. And at the end of the day, it, it does matter to God too. Right. So, um, that, yeah, that was good also to include, um, for me. Okay. Um, I have one more, um, bookish thing. Is there something that you want to go over before I, I go over it? Because you have a lot more quotes than me this time. <laughs> I do. It um, is very rare. It is very rare. Um, but no, I think that was the bookish part for me. Because you talked about womanism. And for me, I wanted to also talk about how they talk about racism also. Okay. Well, the last thing I'll talk about for bookish then is um, she talks about good, and like this concept of good, this concept of good and bad. And that resonated for me because When I was in law school, I actually had a professor who I spoke with because I was really struggling with whether I should stay at the law school I was at or transfer. And that was because I was experiencing a lot of culture shock at the law school I was at. It was in Pennsylvania. And I, um, being from, excuse me, being raised in Georgia, was experiencing a lot of culture shock. And I also realized like, I had always thought I wanted to live in the Northeast. I thought I would um, going to school in Pennsylvania was fine, like because I envisioned myself potentially living in the DMV or New York or something like that. And like after that experience, I was like, no, like I definitely want to move back to Georgia. And so I was thinking, should Georgia be where I go to law school? Should I transfer? And I, I, I did apply to law school in Georgia and was accepted. And so like I was just really struggling and going back and forth with this. And uh, she told me that you know. The way that God works, whatever decision you make, there is no good or bad decision. Everything will come together to get you to the where you're, where God intends you to be. Like this, like whatever decision you make, there's no decision or there's nothing that you can do that will totally make it so completely off the rails that God can't get you to where he wants you to be. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that was a really important thing for me to hear. Right. And Reading it in this book, which came out after I graduated law school, by the way, but reading it in this book just reemphasized for me how good God is and how, yes, we have free will. Yes, we can make whatever decisions we want, but we're still in a journey called life and God still intends for us to prosper and be successful and he's going to make it work out. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so the quotes that I highlighted, ha- highlighted was, Good and bad choices have implications. I don't subscribe to believe to the belief that there is essentially one good choice. I think given the choices and circumstances in front of us, we strive to make the best decisions we can at the time and adjust to their implications. Um, and then moving to page 57, making a good decision means we've lost out on something just as much as making a bad decision means we've gained an experience we desired. What does it mean to make a decision you thought was the best you could do at the time and give yourself enough grace to see it as such? I learned to see God's love as that grace. Mm. So 
it just, again, highlighted for me that we're making these decisions. There is no good or bad decision. We'll get to where we're supposed to be. And whatever implications of those decisions, we have God's grace in all of that. And he'll get us to where we're meant to be. Yes. Okay. Um, I just have rough draft and writing wish left. So I will let you take over if there's any (laughs) other quotes you would like to deep dive into. Yes. Um, A little bit going off of like that concept of good and bad. Um, one thing she talked about was mentorship and how people give praises to mentorship. And yes, that could be a really good thing, but she recognized and she was really honest about what happens when you have bad mentorship. Mm. And I just want to highlight it because, um, as I heard recently, Candace might not know this, but she's my mentor. Um, for a quick context on that, we went to um, Bible study the other day, and the person who was preaching was saying this other preacher who's very famous was their mentor, even if that person didn't know that they were mentor. Like that, uh, this preacher like bought all that other famous preacher's books and listened to his sermons and yada yada yada. So anyway, that's where that comes from. Right. So I find. I found it hard to get folks to discuss what happens when a mentor is wounded by her own experiences and carries that baggage into the mentoring dynamic. It's rare to find honest discourse about the damage wounded black women mentors can do. It's one of those unspoken rules, like sitting still in the dark when it's thundering and lightning outside. Speaking publicly about professional and accomplished black women's wounds is profoundly disrespectful. Um, And I thought this was just so interesting, again, where she is being honest, she's being raw about it. And that's what this book is about. She is calling out and challenging a lot of things that people would usually say, oh, you keep that for the family. You keep that when we get home. Um, Mm. No, she's exposing Mm. it and putting it out to the light. And she is really, um, really in an intricate way looking at different ways of what is good and what is bad. And she did, you know, really talk about this can be damaging because an act and it's just your experience. Yes. As a black woman, you might be, you might've had hurt, but again, if you are mentoring and teaching from that hurt, you could also cause your mentee hurt. Mm -hmm. And I see that in the book talked about, um, respectability politics. And she did talk about how respectability politics for some people, it was a matter of this is survival. So that's why we had to kind of find a way to show ourselves that we could be part of the, um, what was it? It was like the cult of true womanhood. And that's where, you know, white women were seen as pure, pious. And when this concept was created, black women weren't even considered. Black women were enslaved at this time. So it wasn't something they were in, of course, to be able to see as to be seen as human beings, you have to show that you are respectable. Um, but to actually acknowledge that even though it was a survival tactic, that was hurt. And that now causes a new generation to be hurt by the ways that you feel that they need to be seen and show up. Um, so that was something really on my mind too, when you were mentioning good and bad and now other things bookish, cause yes, I had a lot of things here. Um, I think the only other thing I really think is a good point to mention is about who raised me. Let me get to that. That was page 
145 here. This was toward the end. Doo -doo -doo. Oh, and now I can't find it exactly. Okay, here we go. You raised me in the church because you believed it was best for me, but church wasn't the only space of my formation. Hip hop raised me too. I still remember learning the words to Rob Bass and DJ Easy Rocks. It takes two and performing it for you in our living room because I was seven. You saw that much differently than the time you caught me dancing and singing alone to Genuine Pony when I was in high school. And she kind of continues on basically to talk about different things that she experienced with her mom and basically saying that we were different as night and day sometimes, but you still loved me. And she talked about how her mom saw her and recognized that she was growing into someone else that she thought she would be. She talked about how her mom had to acknowledge that you are becoming a different person than I thought you were but that's fine. Let me nurture that person and who you are. Mm. Um, and part of that was, yes, you raised me in the church, but also hip hop raised me. So it made me think what else raised me mm -hmm. um, to really show and see, yes, pieces of my formation is for my family, but now I do have other experiences and someone else who I could be. And that is fine. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. Agreed. So rough draft is where we discuss what were the rough moments to read. As we mentioned, this is part memoir, um, and I found it very difficult and heart-wrenching when she discussed racism she experienced in the South, especially as a child. It was honestly quite terrifying, mm. and the trauma she experienced, um, sexual trauma she experienced um, when she was starting horror, starting her uh, doctoral program. Yes. Um, I, I found that very, very difficult to read, but also obviously important to her story and who she is. Um, but yeah, that was my rough draft. That was really rough. Um, my rough draft is when she was at her PhD program. I'm trying to see if there was a quote here, but I can't see that I put it exactly but she was our PhD program and her mom passes away during it like two months before she graduates um the, two months before her mother her, her mother was actually getting a PhD as well her mother was so, getting yes so it her, was, it's two months before her, her mother is set to get her PhD but it's at the beginning of Candace's PhD program yes that sounds correct thank you um but what was hard was she was fighting for a leave of absence and yes okay sorry there we go page 71 i got i'm gonna find this quote um but yeah she was fighting for a leave of absence and the school did not want to give it to her uh. and the woman basically she didn't understand why I was still requesting a leave of absence six months after my mother died. According to her, I should have adjusted by then. And that was so rough to read mm -hmm. of like this woman, just having the audacity to access, of you know, the person who raised me, the person who I love, the person who I see God in passed away. And you want me to be okay in just six months. You right. want me to just move along. And then that Candace had to ask like three times. Right. And then they were like, ask again. And she was like, no, right. I'm not going to ask you again. You need to go back and like really give me leave of absence. But 
I will say I'm glad that she was able to fight and get um, some compensation from what she went through. But again, it was it was really rough to read. Like, wow, in academia, in this time, you still have to go through this. And it's just, again, this is reality um, clicking in. Yeah. All right. And then that takes us to our writing wish. And this is where we discuss something that we would like to see from the author, either in the future or something we would have wished was added to the book itself. For me, um, my writing wish is um, to read more of her work. Um, and I know she recently announced on Twitter that she has signed a contract for book two and three. So I'm excited for those. But honestly, I'm going to take it back to how I was initially introduced to Candace. Being introduced to her via Twitter, via that story about baking a cake for her neighbor and all that stuff. Mm. I kind of want to see like a romance book or TV show, movie, something from her as well. Like, I just think she would also thrive in that lane. And I think I want to see black womanist romances. I think that would be really cool too to see. Yes, that would be cool. Like black womanist theologic type romances. I think that would be cool. Yes. It's giving Hallmark mahogany. (laughs) She should be part of that. I love that. Um, For me, um, I don't know if she has one already, but a podcast to hear more mm. about her faith and other black women. Um, I don't think basically a book is enough. I think a book is great and I yeah. definitely would read more of hers. But I go back to um, the ending. This is the last quote officially. Sorry. <laughs> My faith and that of sisters like me isn't necessarily going to look like yours. I wish more of our mothers understood this it would ease so much tension we're no different from you we love god we know god loves us and we allow that love to guide our lives i know i cannot survive without god in my life it has been god holding my hand in this darkness enabling me to survive life without you so this was a note she kind of said to her mother and to other readers and she talks about sisterhood so i would love to see that um dynamic out in a podcast almost with other people it looks like she took it off her website but she actually did used to have a podcast okay um but i think it might have been maybe just a lot to keep up with right i don't know if it's something she'll bring back eventually or not but yes she actually did so um, i'll have to go look that up on youtube then hopefully some things are still up yeah all right Well, that's it from us. Make sure to check out the blog to see our full review and keep up with our YouTube and Instagram to also see any updates as well. Thanks again for watching. Have a great day.